would like for you to be here and uh, and uh, so sign up online and I think there's more information on the inside cover of the bulletin. Also, if you're visiting, if you're new around here, there's a sermon outline in the bulletin. Uh, I think toward the back. Also, if you have version, the version app, which is amazing, I recommend it. We are always there under the live events. Just look for Preston Crest, and you can follow along there as well. What we've been doing the last few weeks in the book of Luke is we've been walking with Jesus in the series we're calling Unlocked. And we're watching the Savior have interactions with this wide spectrum of all different kinds of people. And we're noticing, or rather we're asking this question, which I think is a good question. How does Jesus unlock people to their full potential? And we're learning a little bit from each one of these encounters today. Luke chapter 18, let's go there. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. A certain ruler, Matthew tells us he's a young ruler, a young man. A certain ruler asked him, Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Hi, mom and dad. They're here this morning. Um, All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack One thing, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story, kind of slightly different versions of this conversation that happened And I read the story, and I don't know about you, I think this guy, this sort of person, would be right at home here in North Dallas. I mean, just look at the guy. Um, Matthew tells us in chapter 19 that he's young. Luke tells us that he's successful. Um, The text describes him, the Greek word there is a person of archon, which means a person of authority. That tells us that in the community... People, old and young, looked at him and said, this is a guy who is a natural-born leader, okay? And honestly, you look at him and you see a guy that there is, there is frankly, a lot to admire about this individual. Um, I mean, he is a go-getter. He has leadership gifts, and he's leveraged those and hard work into developing a fortune at a very young age. He's won over the admiration of the community, But here's what really gets my attention and what really impresses me about this young fellow. He is someone who wants his life to get to the next level. 
He's someone who cares about improving. He's someone that is asking questions, evaluating himself, trying to figure out what do I need to do? What's lacking in my life? Are there weak spots? He wants to know what those are. He's a guy that cares about improving. And we see this because he comes to the right person and he asks the right question. The right person, of course, he comes to Jesus. He recognizes Jesus as a gifted leader, a gifted teacher, as someone who has the wisdom to help him know what he needs to do to to unlock his potential. And he asks the right question. He asks a question about, how do I get eternal life? And I have to tell you, I wish everybody would care about that question. That's a great question. More people need to think about not just getting the bigger house or getting the promotion, but think about questions of eternal weight. So I'm impressed. I really am with this guy. Um, and I think the disciples were impressed as well. Um, they, I think when they met him and heard him talking, their admiration for him would have only grown when they saw he cared about the Scriptures He knew about the scriptures. He knew what the Bible teaches. And from a very early age, he had concerned himself with obedience, with following what he read in the scripture. So, conscientious, wants to have a life that honors God. Eternal life, Jesus says, you know all the big commandments. You know, don't kill anybody. Don't sleep with somebody who's not your spouse. Uh, Don't rob. Honor your father and mother. And the young man says, yeah, I know those, and I've been following those since I was young. So really, I would say this guy, I mean, honestly, first glance here, kind of the total package, right? I mean, successful, um, smart, cares about personal growth, uh, is admired by people around him, an all-around decent, moral person. Too bad he's not running for president, right? I mean, don't, don't amen that, okay? Um, just bonus. He knows the word, tries to follow the word, all of this stuff. And, by the way, he's achieved all this at a young age. So maybe a 20-something here. Impressive stuff. By all appearances, he would be the sort of person that you might label as the ideal disciple or the ideal potential disciple. Um, I would be thrilled to see a person like this coming to Preston Crest saying, hey, I want to be a part of what God is doing here at Preston Crest. Um, I think he could do a lot for the kingdom of God. And I've got to think the disciples are overhearing this conversation and they're thinking, bingo, right? I mean, we have landed a big fish here. Imagine what this young, successful, wealthy individual is going to be able to bring to the ministry. And even Jesus, yes, Jesus sees that. Jesus says, hey, come follow me. Come be a part of of the work here. And so as, as the conversation goes, at this point, things are really sailing right along, aren't they? Verse 22, just one little snag. Literally, Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell all of your stuff. Liquidate the portfolio. Take all that money. Give it away to the poor. And then come follow me. And that's where the conversation ceases to sail 
right along, doesn't it? My guess is we have just seen the reason that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all remember this story. It is an easy one for Jewish folks to remember um, because honestly, for them, a Jewish person, a believer being wealthy meant Well, that was kind of synonymous with being good with God, accepted by God, enjoying God's favor. Wealth was seen if you knew the Torah, you knew the Hebrew Scriptures, and you you went to the synagogue, and you went to the temple, and you were wealthy. That was all an indication God likes you, okay? God has blessed your life. So if anyone was good enough... If anyone measured up, if anyone was qualified to be right with God, here he is. Right? Here he is in Luke chapter 19. So what's going on here? Jesus tells him, give away all your stuff. Then come follow me. Luke says the guy is sad. I mean, the head sags, shoulders slump, and he leaves, he walks away from Jesus. What just happened? You know the disciples are wondering that. I mean, we had him on the hook. He's coming to you, Jesus. He wants to know what you think. He respects you. He calls you good teacher. Why would you go and ruin that? Why would you go and say something that sends him away sad. And the Lord felt for this young man. The Lord had love in his heart for this young man. And as this dejected man turns and leaves, Jesus says, looking at him, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then he added, and it might have been a little awkward levity at this point, he added, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. Now, you may have heard preachers try to explain this. You know, it's like there was actually a gate there at Jerusalem that was known as the eye of the needle. Look, don't try to over... Jesus is saying, think about that. Camel getting through the eye of a needle, ridiculously hard, impossible really, wouldn't it be? Um, So the disciples just kind of stand there in shock. I mean, this young guy is an ideal candidate to be a disciple, could do a lot for the kingdom on earth. Why did Jesus have to go and mess that up? And wealth? Wealth? I mean, wealth was a sign that you were right with God. So they ask, Lord... If a guy who knows the Bible and cares about following what the Bible says and he leads a moral life, if someone like that can't be saved, who can be saved? I mean, really, who in the world can be saved? The mental wheels have been turning, the neurons have been firing, they're connecting the dots, and they're, they're looking at this picture, and they're saying, it looks like it would be impossible for anyone to be saved. Then Jesus says, at the end of the text we read this morning, yeah, 
You're right. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Back to the young man in the story. You know, one thing, there there are several things in the story that really haven't changed much over time. One of those things would be the value of money. Would you say our culture still values money? Of course we do. You can fix a lot of problems with money. You can make a lot of situations better if you have money. Money can open a lot of doors. But check this out. There is one door that money cannot open, and that is the door to eternal life. Money cannot make you right with God. That's something it can't do for you. So Jesus, he looks at this man's heart. Jesus looks at our hearts. And Jesus sees what it is that limits me. Jesus sees what it is that's holding you back. What it is that's keeping you from reaching your full potential. And for this fellow, money was that. Okay? Money had become for him a sort of substitute savior. It had become for him a sort of counterfeit Christ. Now, money is not the only counterfeit Christ, is it? There are all sorts of things. In fact, anything that I put my ultimate trust in, anything that I look to as my Savior, a person, a relationship, a philosophy, ideology, a thing, a material object, a bank account, anything that I look to that is not Jesus that I believe will ultimately save me, that I cry out to, that is my Christ. It may be the real thing. It may be a counterfeit version of Christ. So whether you're getting ready to graduate from high school or you're getting ready to retire, that is a great question to ask yourself. This, do I put my confidence in Christ or do I put it somewhere else? A counterfeit Christ. Who or what do you look to for your salvation? Where do you turn when you lose hope? What's that thing? What's that relationship that you believe you absolutely have to have to get by? Spoiler alert, according to Jesus, not money. Money won't work. Money won't get you by. Now remember, early in the conversation, in fact, at the very beginning of the conversation, that weird kind of awkward moment where the young man comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, Jesus interrupts him right there. Doesn't even let let him get the question out. Good teacher, who are you calling good? Did you know no one is good except God and God alone? Only God is good. And if only God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if only God is good, then I'm not good. Does that make sense? If, only, if, if that circle that has all the good people in it only contains God, then I'm outside the circle. I'm not good. And I can't make myself good. I can't force myself to be good enough to be saved. That means salvation is a God thing. Only He can make that possible for somebody like me, for a sinner like me. In fact, the story gets at this even deeper level. There is nothing that I can acquire. There is nothing that I can purchase. There is nothing that I can achieve 
that will ultimately unlock salvation for me. It is impossible for me or for any of us to make ourselves right with God, even doing really good things, like to the best of your ability, obeying all of the scriptures, that's not going to make you good. That's not going to justify you in the presence of God. I can try as hard as I want, but I'm not good. I'm not going to make myself good enough to merit eternal life. Jesus said right at the beginning, only God is good. So Jesus makes it very clear. Salvation is not a human endeavor. Salvation does not depend on your merit. Praise God for that. On my merit, praise God for that. It is something God does. It's not something that you do. And so just a few points on the outline this morning as we kind of finish up. A statement or two about the, about the, the story we just read and then some questions for us to think about. The first statement would be this from this encounter. Okay, here goes. Jesus was interested in the man's salvation. He wasn't terribly concerned with making him feel better about himself. There are so many engines, so many um, places in the world that we look to to make us feel better about ourselves, just lift up our self-esteem. Look, it's not that Jesus doesn't care how you feel about yourself. He's not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. It's just that he loves you enough to tell you the truth. Okay? He cares more about your salvation. He cares more about your eternity than giving you a self-esteem bump. So here's the question. Will I allow Jesus to shoot straight with me? My choices, my lifestyle, even when what Jesus tells me is uncomfortable. Can he tell me the truth without me sagging my shoulders and walking away? from him. Say what you want about this young man, his decency, his accomplishments, his love for scripture, his desire for personal growth. Say what you want. One thing is clear, he was not okay with Jesus giving him an honest assessment about his life. We know that because he got the assessment and he turned and walked away. He became sad and he left. He wanted Jesus' advice. He just didn't want that advice, okay? Um, The next thing that I would point out from this story, Jesus was interested, is interested, by the way, but he was interested in this case in being the Lord of this man, not in being an advisor on his quest for personal improvements, okay? Lordship is the issue here. In Luke chapter 18, will you accept me not as an advisor, not as a good buddy, okay, not as a guru? Will you accept me as Lord? The question for me is this, will I accept Jesus as Lord of all areas of my life? Or do I merely want Jesus to come in and kind of help enhance my life? It's a tough question. I'll be honest with you, these are challenging questions I think for us. Um, It's a big one to keep in mind. Do I think that Jesus, look, do I think that Jesus can improve me as a person? Of course I do. Do I think that Jesus in my life can make me a better husband, a better father, a better minister, a better... Of course I do. Do I think that is primarily what Jesus is concerned with? I know it's not. 
He says in Luke chapter 19, his mission statement, he says, to, in, in the case of uh, Zacchaeus, he says, the Son of Man came to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. He wants to be your Lord, and he needs to be your Lord. Coming to Christ involves giving him the archon, giving him the dominion, claiming him as the ruler over your life, taking the throne of the life uh, of your life that he needs to occupy as Lord for the disciple. As Lord, it means he gets to lead and he gets to shape my decisions about everything. Jesus, you're my Lord. So he leads and he shapes my decisions about money. He's Lord. He leads. He shapes my decisions about sex. He's Lord. He leads. He shapes my decisions about my marriage. He's Lord. He leads. He shapes my decisions about ministry. Either he's Lord or he's not. What he's not interested in being is a life enhancement technology. What he's not interested in being is a little something you add in. He's not interested in you having a Christ-flavored life. A little pepper on there, a little Jesus on the life. He's interested in you having a Christ-filled life. You know the man in the story. Wow, he was impressive. I mean, he really was. Grabbed life by the horns squeezed just about everything that he could to out of life from a very early age. If life was a series of conquests, then he was a victor. He had conquered a lot of big stuff at an early age, hadn't he? But there was one thing he couldn't conquer, okay? The greatest conquest isn't the bigger house, isn't the bigger salary, it isn't a beautiful body, it isn't whiter teeth, it isn't shinier hair. The biggest conquest is none of that stuff. It is eternal life with God. That is the only conquest that matters eternally. You can't take the other stuff with you. Amen? But there was, so there was this one thing he couldn't conquer. And he wanted, what do I do to get eternal life? And that, Jesus says, eternal life is a conquest that is impossible for human beings. In fact, it is not something that you and I can conquer at all. When you think about it, eternal life is more of an unconditional surrender rather than a conquest. It is putting Jesus on the throne, removing myself from the throne, and surrendering my life and my eternity to Him. So this is the third and final bullet point there. Salvation is an absolute impossibility, impossibility through human goodness or effort. It is possible because of the good news, because of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's possible because of what He accomplished, not because of what I accomplished. So the question then becomes this one. The central question is this. Will I surrender to the gospel, putting my faith in Christ and Christ alone? 
Let me ask you some questions here. They all have the same answer, and I might need your help with this answer. Has anyone, anyone, ever conquered sin and Satan and the legions of hell? No one but Jesus. Say that with me. No one but Jesus. Let's get a little conviction there. No one but Jesus. He's the only one who's conquered sin, Satan, and the legions of hell. Has anyone ever conquered death? No one but Jesus. Has anyone ever promised you that the grave is not the end, that eternal life is your future, and then backed that up by being raised on the third day? No one but Jesus. Just Jesus. So, yeah. I mean, really, you can achieve a great deal with your time and your talent that the Lord has blessed you with. Salvation, however, is impossible for you to accomplish, for you to achieve. That's where the good news comes in. The good news. Remember Jesus? Well, he is kind of, I guess you could say, an expert in the world of the impossible, isn't he? Think about Jesus. Um, remember, that, remember that night, his disciples, they're on the Sea of Galilee. They're sailing across without Jesus. It's very dark. And then somebody, and then all of them spot Jesus walking on top of the water across the sea. The Bible tells us they were terrified. Why were they scared? Because that's not possible. That can't happen. Jesus meets up with a paralyzed man. His legs have never worked. He's never stood. He's never walked. Jesus asks that man to do the very thing, the one thing that is impossible for that man to do. Rise up, take your mat, and walk. Jesus in the temple sees this man who has a shriveled arm. Jesus says to him, with a twinkle in his eye, stretch out your arm. Jesus comes across blind people. Open your eyes and see, he says, smiling, because for Jesus, all things are possible. In fact, when you think about it, an impossible situation is actually a precondition for a what? For a miracle. A miracle is not a miracle if it was possible. You've got to have an impossible situation to have a miracle happen. Now, where did we ever get the idea that our salvation is not a miracle? I mean, Jesus clears that up for us in Luke 18. Impossible. A rich man getting to heaven, impossible. But all things are possible with God. If it's up to me, if it's up to you, if it's up to the Apostle Peter, if it's up to Mother Teresa, if it's up to your sainted grandmother to get saved on their own to merit salvation then salvation is impossible it cannot happen but with Jesus wow that's a different story isn't it 
Impossible things are quite possible with Jesus. Remember what the disciples said? I mean, they're stunned. Here's this guy. He's almost perfect. He's like the ideal. If anyone might be considered a good person, it was this young guy that came to Jesus. Remember their reaction at the end of the story, verses 26 and 27? They turn to Jesus astonished, and they say, Then who in the world can be saved? Verse 27, he replied, What is impossible for people is possible with God. This morning, what is holding you back? What issue, what struggle, what, what is it in your life that is limiting you from the person you know Christ has called you to be? What do you need to put under His Lordship? What do you need to surrender to Jesus in order for Him to unlock your potential? Is it money? Is it your career? I mean, I don't know. Are you willing to surrender that to the Lordship of Jesus? Maybe this morning, it's finally time for you to cross that line of faith and put your trust, your faith, not in what you are going to be able to do or what you have already done, but in what Jesus accomplished at the cross. You can be baptized into that. Accepting Him, acknowledging Him, confessing Him as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe this morning you just need prayers. However it is you need to respond, we would ask you to do that as together we stand and worship. Salvation belongs to...